0: Hello, everyone. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and this is the Bread of Life. This program is brought to you by Church Partnership Evangelism. To learn more about our reach around the world, go to traincpe.org. To learn about our missions fellowship in Boise, go to breadoflifeboise.org. When Paul introduced himself to the church in Rome, he wanted them to know three things from the start. It's found in the first verse of his letter to the Romans. First, he wanted them to know he was a slave of Jesus Christ. He didn't come to own anything. He was owned in all that he did. Second, he was called to his ministry, an apostle. God had sovereignly brought him to that work. And finally, he was set apart to the gospel of God. That was the focus of his life. Live under that sense of God's sovereign call, so pay attention and recognize God's hand upon your life in the places where you find yourself. We're not flotsam floating along a mindless sea. We're individuals who are sent forth in the world, a world planned for us by God, God overriding and God seeing and God working. And even when contradictory things happen, God has promised that for those who love the Lord Jesus, he works all things together for good. My father used to say that the sovereignty of God is expressed in his pledge to make Satan eat dirt. I'm going to take every situation and work it for my glory and my honor. You you live under that sovereign hand of God and you'll recognize a call upon your life and God can use you. I was speaking to a young lady just this last week and explaining this to her. They're in some difficulty. They're facing some challenges. They're a little discouraged. And I said, you know what, if you just turn this around and recognize that, that God has you there and God has a purpose and God has a design and you'd live in submission and surrender to him, you'd instead of whining you'd get a sense of Direction. He's calling you in these places to serve Him. You think about the people that are hearing this message from Paul. Many of these individuals maybe found themselves in Rome because they traveled from the villages where they're at and they'd come to the gospel because someone had traveled into their village where they worshiped all kinds of various gods, but they were becoming less and less impressed with those gods. There was a diminishing of a value and a cynicism that was growing up in the Roman world for all the various gods that they worshiped. They hadn't delivered. They didn't deliver for the Greeks. They weren't delivering for the Romans. Now, Some stranger comes into the community and he's declaring this message of a Savior who's come, a Messiah who's come, who's died and risen from the grave and he, he shows up at their little gate or in front of their home and how odd and how strange in this world in which they lived in which life didn't turn really fast it just kind of went along as it went along from one generation to the next and, and now this figure shows up to their doorstep proclaiming this unique and odd message but there something comes over their mind, this, this rang with truth this answered deep longings within their life and this had to be planned for them this had to be God's will for them. Just last night going to bed, I'm seeing a picture of these women in India whose heads are covered, and they're living, and I've been there. They are dark communities, teeming with individuals where they're alone in the midst of the multitude. Here is someone who's come into their home and begun to speak to them, and they're hearing this wonderful story of the God of all creation who loves them and has designed them for himself, and who knows that they're sinful and that their sin brings upon them his punishment but that God loved them so much that God became flesh and came among them and suffered for their sins and died for them in order that if they would believe in him and trust in them they might be completely forgiven and they might give a life that's transcendent above the mundane experiences of life from day to day and here's this image of these women and men that are bowing their heads and they're praying and asking the Lord Jesus to come in their life Part of what they have to be thinking is how odd and how strange in this place that at this moment this message and these individuals might show up at my doorstep. I've had it happen to me on a number of different occasions. When we first started doing our ministries overseas and we went to Mexico City, I took Judy with me. Judy didn't like to fly. She asked that I sit next to her on the way down there flying and so she grabbed my hand when the plane was taking off and she about broke my hand. She was just so nervous. And then she was fearful when we got there. But I said, Judy, God has people for you to meet. God is preparing someone for you. We sent her into this community, and it was a gated community. You can't even get into the homes unless people open their gates. She was just walking through the neighborhood with a member of the church. A woman comes out and opens up her gate and is about ready to drive the, her car out of the gate. And Judy began speaking with her. And Judy explains to her that she's from Canada. We lived in, I lived in Canada at that time. And that she'd come down to share how, how Jesus had wonderfully transformed her life and would like to share a story with her. They just had this happen moment happening. Well, the woman let her come in the house. They ended up engaging in a conversation that lasted for two hours. One of the questions that we teach people to ask is, do you believe you're a sinner? And how do you know that you're a sinner? When she asked that question of this woman, this woman began to cry. She said, well, I have to tell you something. I'm married and I have children, but I had just this morning decided I was going to start an affair with a man. And I was getting in my car and I was driving out to go meet with that man just now. And you came. She's sweeping. Well, that's a sovereign appointment of God. That's God meeting her at the moment in which she knows she's being swept into the whirlpool of her own desires and her own needs, and it's going to suck her down. These people in Rome had their own stories like that. They recognize that they have been called of God out of the darkness of that world, and Paul is identifying with them and saying, Hey, we're called. We're sovereignly called by God. This gives purpose and intent for our lives. You recognize that in your own life. Here's the next thing Paul says. Set apart for the gospel of God. Paul is separated to one purpose. Proclaiming the gospel of God. The idea of set apart here is that he has been drawn out from the masses and from the aims and the motions of the masses and he's been given a singularity of purpose, a focus or an aim. Paul knows that God has distinguished him from the life that he once lived in order to live a life that is going in a completely different direction for a completely different purpose. By the way, the word there that says set apart is the word from which you get Pharisee. The Pharisees were set apart ones. They've been given to hone their holiness and follow all the meticulous points of the law and teach other people how to follow the law. And Paul was a Pharisee dedicated to all those things. And then he'd been wonderfully... Reached and saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. And now he's set apart for a gospel of grace. We're not saved by works of the law. We're saved by the wonderful truth that Jesus Christ has risen from the grave. And he's king and he wants to establish that. Kingdom in your heart. By the way, this word gospel was a word that was common among the Romans. An evangelist or a person who proclaimed the gospel was an individual who might serve the emperor. And when, say, a new emperor ascended to the place of rule within the government, that person would go out throughout the community and proclaim the rise and the ascension of this new emperor over the land. And He was considered a gospel, and his message was the good news. Paul saying, look, I've been set apart now. Not to proclaim the law, but proclaim this gospel that there's a, a king that's arrived. He can set up his kingdom in your heart and he'll rule and he's coming back one day, but he's already provided a way for you to be saved and rescued and brought into his kingdom. He'll transform you. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. This recognition that he has been set apart for this sole purpose of putting the gospel to people gives Paul this singularness of mind. He begins to shape all of his engagements with people, all of his relationships with people in a way on how he can be an agent to continually bring good news into people's lives of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians nine nineteen through 23 Paul talks about this single-purpose mind. Later on Paul will say by the way that in in the pursuit of this goal that he's gonna talk about here that he beats his body black and blue. He brings it under discipline in order that he might carry on this continual work this discipline-focused work of bringing the gospel to others. In 1 Corinthians nine nineteen through 23 he says this, For though I am free from all, that's speaking of his redemption, I have made myself servant to all, we've talked about that already, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means, I might save some. Listen to this. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. All these engagements I have, all these relationships I have, all the ways in which I think I can influence and direct people, it's all channeling down for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessing, that they might come under the power of the wonderful liberty that comes to us through the deeming work of Jesus Christ that more and more might experience with me. Paul's basically saying, I recognize that God has set me apart and consecrated me to a, a profound, singular purpose that I have adopted in my life. Think about that, a singleness of mind, a slave to Jesus Christ, recognizing God's sovereign hand to send him out Singled out, you might say, for a purpose. And keeping his eye fixed upon that. What's your purpose? What's your purpose? Do you recognize God has singled you out in this way? Can you say you're, you're a slave to the Savior because he's won you by the gospel? Can you see the sovereign hand of God leaving you to a point in time and a place in which he spoke to you and made known to you his saving truth and you turned to him? All of that constitutes something. Can you say your life is consecrated? It's separated out for something singular and purposeful to make that good news known. Here's what Peter says of the church, of the believer, of the Christian in 1 Peter 2.9. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That means a separated people or nation. A people for God's own possession, that means like slaves. Here's your purpose that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What Paul is talking about is about the trajectory of his life. Paul is saying that his life was aimed at making Christ and his gospel known to others. That was the primary trajectory of his life. It may be wise then for ourselves to trace the trajectory of how we're living and ask if it demonstrates this same interest in putting Christ forward in our world. Are we staying focused? Here's Paul, a slave to Jesus, nothing more in essence than an own man who is loved supremely and loved supremely because he's bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. Here's Paul, sovereignly sent out, called to a place of mission, sent out under the directing hand of God. Here's Paul, separated, singular in purpose to make the gospel of God and the rule of Jesus Christ known in the world. What you should do is say, God, help shape those kinds of things in my life. I want to have uh, an approximation to the life of Paul. I want to to have impact for you. But even if you don't, if you say, okay, at this point in time, I don't see these things. At least see it in Paul. At least see it in Paul. It's why what he has to say to us and what he teaches us is so important. It's why it will have an impact on your life and why it's had a tremendous impact on our world. I'm going to skip my last point. That's good enough right there, right? We'll pick that up next week. I will just say this. Paul then will say that he's been supplied by the grace of God for all those things. He didn't do any of this in his own power. This was all something God gave to him. God, give this to us as well. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord, I'm looking forward to this. I thank you for how you unfold the perfect synchronization of your truth throughout your word to reveal to us your designs and your purposes for our lives and the way in which we're blessed and the way in which we can be a blessing to others. We live in a day and age in which it seems like chaos is reigning all around us and people and lives are being fractured and minds are going in a hundred different directions. God, you're a God of order because you're a God who's spoken and your word is truth and your son Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of church partnership, evangelism, and the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. We are at work to take this gospel to the ends of the earth, and we need your prayers and your support. To learn more, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.